Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Memes, The Guardian's weekly podcast bringing you the very latest from Brexit land. Today, we're going to be looking back over something of a news-packed few days in the Article 50 divorce process and trying to make what sense of it we can with Dan Roberts, The Guardian's Brexit policy editor, and Brussels correspondent Jennifer Rankin. From deadlines to ultimatums and statutory instruments to cabinet divisions, if they can't tell us what's going on, frankly, then no one can. First, though, let's have a quick recap of what actually happened. First, in Brussels last week, at the end of a severely truncated sixth round of talks, Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, told the UK in no uncertain terms that it had two weeks to come up with absolutely vital clarity on the key divorce issues and particularly the financial settlement. That's because the next EU leaders' summit, at which they'll decide whether or not sufficient progress on separation has been made to move on to the next phase of the talks, is on December the 14th and 15th. And the EU27 need to start circulating, discussing and approving the summit's conclusions by the end of this month. Next, the Irish border has suddenly emerged as every bit as much of a hurdle as the exit bill. Now, some of course would say that this was always going to be inevitable, but nonetheless, both Dublin and the EU27 have come out with very forceful statements over the past few days to the effect that basically the only way to stop a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic, which everybody wants to avoid, is for the province to stay in the customs union and the single market. Now, that kind of implies another border between the island of Ireland and the rest of the UK, and needless to say, Britain has ruled that out. Finally, we need to talk again about the weakness of Theresa May's government and the very deep Brexit divisions within it. There have been multiple signs of that over the past few days. EU officials and diplomats are now openly saying that the government's fragility looks like being perhaps the biggest stumbling block to a successful deal. And Barnier himself told a French newspaper this weekend that the bloc had begun contingency planning for a possible collapse of the talks. Now, it's also emerged that two leading Brexiteers, Michael Gove and Boris Johnson, have teamed up again to lobby the Prime Minister against Cabinet Ministers who they say are not putting enough energy into a good, hard, clean Brexit. And on Monday, facing parliamentary defeat on some of the 300 amendments that have been tabled to its EU withdrawal bill, the government effectively caved in to rebel demands for a meaningful say on the final deal by promising a take-it-or-leave-it vote on an act of parliament that would enshrine that deal in law. 
Again, needless to say, it doesn't particularly seem to have appeased everybody. So, we have more than enough to talk about. Welcome, Dan, and welcome, Jennifer. Hello. Hello, John. Let's try and look at each of these issues in turn then, shall we? First, the, the deadline or the ultimatum, if you're feeling particularly patriotic. Jennifer, can you explain why for the EU this really is a deadline, if that is, it really is a deadline? Well, it is a deadline. It, it might not be as precise as two weeks, but for the EU, this is a really uh, very real issue because we, we might have this idea that Theresa May could simply turn up at the summit on the 14th of December and jot down some numbers about the Brexit financial settlement over a napkin. But really for the EU, that's not how it works. And uh, individual member states need to consult uh, from treasuries to, to chancelleries to other departments. There need to be consultations with MEPs. Officials in Brussels need to be drafting the summit conclusions, which is a process that takes several weeks. So with all these preparations to do, the really time is running very short and people say, yes, it really is two to three weeks and the, and the UK will have to come up with something soon if it does want to see sufficient progress in December. And what will happen if it doesn't? Well, then we move down the road to the, the next EU summit in March. So that would be the next available moment for the EU to assess where the UK is going. Some people suggest, well, of course, you could have an emergency summit on Brexit, but the EU is not very keen on having emergency mm. summits to fix Brexit problems, which it sees as a sort of self-inflicted problem of the British government not having a position. So then I think you would also see in earnest preparations gathering pace for a no-deal Brexit. I think it would raise concern about not getting a deal if there is no progress in December. But at the same time, there is still time to do it. It's just that time is, it would be running extremely short and expectations very low. Dan, is it a realistic deadline as far as the British government is concerned? Is it one that they can possibly meet? I think they recognise the seriousness of it. They had a whole bunch of business leaders in Downing Street this week telling them just how dire things would be if they don't get it fixed in time. And let's be clear here, the issue is if they don't get to talk about future relationships until at least after March, so we will pass the one-year anniversary of Article 50 and therefore we will be within 12 months of leaving. And that's a crucial point at which business needs um, some certainty about at least a transition phase because people will be signing year-long contracts not knowing whether or not we will be having any kind of regulatory or legal mechanism for dealing with um, with our biggest export market you know if you're an airline mm. or an insurance company or any of these businesses that deal in year-long contracts then we really have to have some sort of clarity by March. not a final deal but mm. this is why transition is so important i think the government gets this the question is is the government strong enough yeah. to get this through um, they're getting some support today we saw william hay come out and say that he thought it was made perfect sense to give a broad agreement to settling our bill with a little bit more detail but with the caveat that we don't hand over any money until we get the final agreement i think that's a perfectly valid way of maintaining some leverage here whilst accepting that they have us over a barrel <laughs> we're past the point of whether or not this is a justifiable bill that we're being presented with or whether these mm. bullying tactics i happen to think they are becoming quite bullying and this does look a little bit like an ultimatum but that that's irrelevant. <laughs> it's what we've got to deal with. We have to we deal are, with the practicalities here. here. Now, yeah, yeah, uh, they yeah. have us over a barrel. Without getting too technical, do we know where the real points of difference are on the financial settlement? What actually are the main quibbles? Yes. Or is it just a question of the government 
not wanting to play what it clearly considers to be its strongest card too soon. Yeah, I, at the risk of grossly oversimplifying it, I think you, you start with 60 billion euros, about 50 billion quid, which is what they want off us. Win that 60 billion, you can roughly divide it in thirds. I would say there's 20 billion that is the money um, that we already owe in this um cycle uh, mm. budgetary cycle that if we stay in for another couple of years we'll be paying anyway mm-hmm. uh, and that's what may has pretty much already agreed to pay 20 billion dollars to make sure 20 billion euros to make sure that nobody is out of pocket by us leaving early that's our existing money then there is the future commitment stuff that we've agreed to pay but will be coming further down the track this rest a liquidity mm. to use my terrible french pronunciation <laughs> i hope you're both going to correct me um which um we don't want to pay but it looks like we're going to have to pay and then there is also another bunch of of money it's not quite 20 billion but call it a third which is sort of uh, contingent liabilities things that might crop up and pensions and various other bits and pieces that we really don't want to pay but again <laughs> but we might have, have to, pay. to yeah. so we are one third of the way towards it now i think there's a lot that theresa may can do to fudge this because if there is a long transition period we're going to be paying in quite a lot of these things anyway whatever mm. happens so it might not have to have a sticker on it that says 60 billion euros although realistically the press will put that sticker on it whatever she does right okay okay well let's move on to um ireland which kind of came from nowhere this week. I suppose it was always going to. A a paper, firstly, from the EU27 about the whole issue of of the border, which essentially suggested that the only way to solve the question was for Northern Ireland, the province, um, to to stay in the customs union. Um, And then subsequent to that, Dublin, um, the the Irish foreign minister and prime minister have come out with very strong statements on the question. Are Dublin and the EU speaking with one voice and how indivisible is that voice? I think for now they are and the Irish government have been very successful at making sure the Irish issue is is at the top of the EU's agenda because although we have these free divorce issues now of which Ireland is one of them but that was never inevitable but it it does reflect the very fast footwork of Irish diplomats in Brussels and Mm. in, in Dublin as well in making sure that the issues around the Irish border were understood by EU negotiators. So I think for now there is there is certainly unity there, and I can't imagine, although in 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 theory no single country has the power to veto the uh, the Brexit withdrawal agreement. I can't imagine that the European Commission would go ahead and recommend sufficient progress without having the Irish government on board. And so far we've had very consistent language publicly from from both mm. saying they they don't want a hard border on the the island of Ireland. But it's very interesting when you look at um, the difference between the, the UK language and the Irish language because uh, the Brexit Secretary David Davis often talks about having flexible and imaginative solutions. And it seems what he has in mind is technology, so cameras and license plate recognition technology to sort of smooth away that border issue. But yet when you talk to Irish, he, Irish politicians, they seem to mean when they talk about flexibility and imaginative imagination they mean a leap of imagination on the side of the british government to stay in the customs union and to not present this problem in the first place so there are really very sort of stark differences hmm. in how the uk and the the eu are approaching this this issue although so far i don't think the differences are so pronounced within the eu 
for Michel Barnier as well, I, I remember that the very start of the process, he said that he took the whole question of the Irish border, but he had a sort of a personal interest in it himself. Is that going to be a factor, do you think? Yes, well, he was um, regional policy commissioner at the time when the EU set up funding to, to promote the peace process after the Good Friday Agreement came into, into force. So he's very mindful of the, the issues. And I think the EU is treading very carefully on this. And they, that's why they've always said all along they want the UK to come up with the, the solutions about how to fix this problem. They see the UK as having created the whole problem, of having entered the referendum without any clue or much thought given or any thought at all given mm. to Ireland. And now they really think it's up to the UK to fix it. But the problem is the UK hasn't come up with solutions that have convinced anyone. So privately, people do feel that the current UK proposals mean a hard border, but the EU doesn't want to say it first. They want the UK to to be the first to spell out what they really mean. Dan, do you think that the UK considers that Dublin feels that this is its strongest card? Yes, I, I detect an air of panic in Dublin that they see their one moment of leverage disappearing, that they had succeeded in making the Irish question part of this first stage mm. test. It's now all about money instead, and we're, we're in danger of being allowed to pass to stage two without having given any convincing explanation of how we're going to solve the Irish problem. I have some sympathy for Dublin's position there, but I do think that ultimately this is a bit of a red herring because it is impossible to have a solution to that problem without getting on to the future relationships. It's all about mm. the trade deal, the customs arrangements and so forth. Now, I personally share the Irish scepticism that the Brits are living in a fantasy land if they think they can basically recreate a customs union without having a customs union, <laughs> um, that we can sort of wave all this away with, with a magic wand. But the truth is that at the high level, in terms of aim, the Brits and, and the Irish are perfectly aligned. Neither of them want a hard border. Both are saying we need to find some way mm. of not having a border. Um, the question then becomes, well, how do you get there while still leaving the single market, while still mm. leaving the customs unit? And that's a conversation that until we get to phase two and have those conversations with the other EU27, it's all a bit of a red So, so you think it's likely to get shunted into the into the next it, phase? It can't basically. not be, I think. And, and I think that we're going to see a lot of huffing and puffing from Dublin as they realise that they see their opportunity to exert some influence slipping away here and rightly have great concern about whether or not the British plan is viable. But that's the way mm. it is, I mm. think. Finally, then, the, the, the state of the, of the British government, it seems like we've been talking about this for quite some time now, but it remains very relevant. Dan, firstly, a letter was leaked to the Mail on Sunday this weekend from Michael Gove and Boris Johnson to Theresa May, which appeared to be attacking particularly Philip Hammond over what, what, what they call sort of far from sufficient energy in Brexit preparations. Um, now, what seems to be interesting about this is that, is that you know, the, the, the two fell out quite spectacularly, obviously, um, during the Johnson's, Boris Johnson's leadership campaign, which Gove eventually decided not to back and, and, and ran himself. But now they, they've teamed up again. Is this significant? I mean, what, what, are, they, what are they playing at? Do you well, think? I think it's a marriage of convenience. I think this idea that uh, Labour were trying to describe it as a bromance in the Commons, just I think it's slightly mm. over, overcooking it. <laughs> the, the, there's still no particular love loss there. But nonetheless, they represent the wing of the party and the cabinet that is very uncomfortable with the concessions that May is making and is going to be forced to make. Mm. And um, it's no secret where this letter came from. 
from. I mean, the two of them sent a letter to Theresa May and her chief of staff, Gavin Barwell, no one else. And, and it, lo and behold, it appeared on the Mail in Sunday. <laughs> I, I think it didn't come from number 10, shall we say. So it's clearly a public, a deliberate public effort to put pressure on those in charge. And it's not just the chancellor who's taking offence. David Davis appeared to be very offended by it all mm. this morning. This is where the fault line is. And it's going to crystallise over money in the next couple of weeks. But it'll come up again and mm. again next next year with all sorts of much tougher decisions that yeah. she's just too weak to force through. Yeah, I mean, it, it is another sign, as Dan says, isn't it, Jennifer, of the degree of division within the British government and the weakness of, uh, of Theresa May. Now, how seriously should we take these noises from Brussels that her weakness, the weakness of the British government, may be the single biggest obstacle to a satisfactory deal? Yes, yeah, so it, it is the talk of the town in Brussels. How, how long can Theresa May last for? How long can she hang on to her job in such a, a perilous position? But nonetheless, people also see the calculation in another way that can she afford not to have a deal in December? Can she afford to start the new year still with no discussions about trade going on and with then businesses potentially making a stampede for the exit uh, and setting up shop or looking to do so um, in, in continental Europe? So they see that as it's, it's very finely balanced. And it's also worth underlining that for the EU, the, the essential interest and the, the bottom line of the negotiations remains unchanged, whether it's Theresa May or Boris Johnson or someone else mm. entirely, that they want to make sure that the the UK uh, will pay its share of, of the sort of debts and obligations mm. that have accrued over its 44 years of membership. They want to sort out the citizens issue and the Irish border and that these things don't change no matter who is in, in power but of course, it's it's perhaps unsurprising we have seen uh, preparations intensifying somewhat for that no deal scenario. So it's certainly something that's at the back of everybody's mind. mind. Yeah, um, Dan, you know, yet another sign of the government's weakness was this concession on Monday night, just before the EU withdrawal bill with those kind of three hundred odd amendments was was due to begin its its passage through parliament now you wrote a um, i thought a spectacularly clear <laughs> explainer about what this what this actually meant because it is quite a complicated thing isn't it could you could you just run us through very briefly what this vote actually entails and what particularly why rebel Tories and, and opposition MPs are not particularly convinced by it. I'll give it a go. I mean, <laughs> I think the first thing to state at a very high level, this is about the, the government staggering from crisis to crisis in Parliament. So I don't think there's any sense in trying to read too much logic into all of this. Mm. This is firefighting. Nonetheless, we're getting into the, the weeds for a second. They have agreed to put the exit deal that they agree in Brussels into British law at the end of the process. So probably if things go go well mm. this time next year there would be legislation that MPs would get a, a to separate vote on, act of parliament an act of parliament mm. that would enshrine into british law the exit deal that's different from the withdrawal bill which is going through at the moment that's used to be called the great repeal bill and that's basically copying over all of the existing eu law onto the british statute mm. but that's a separate mm-hmm. procedural issue what we're talking about here is the eventual settlement that we just yeah. spent the last 25 minutes mm. discussing when that gets agreed if it ever gets agreed MPs get now get to vote on it in what has been called a meaningful way. And this has been the big rub because the government has 
always said MPs will get a say on it, but until now has just suggested there'll be some sort of perhaps non-binding vote where um, they would get to sort of nod their assent in much the same way as the European Parliament has a vote at the end of the process. But by making it a piece of legislation, primary legislation, A, it definitely becomes binding because of a no vote means that the deal can't go through. But also there is the opportunity for amendment as well. So they could theoretically, although it's very unlikely, reopen negotiations if, if, if the MPs felt that there was something off, some stinker mm. in the deal. The real key question about whether or not this matters, though, is the, is the what happens if they vote no. And we are still really at the point where the only alternative is crashing out without a deal. What campaigners and many Labour MPs would like to see is a vote um, on whether a no deal scenario is a good idea as well. And that, that would be much more interesting because if MPs say no to no deal as mm. well, then we are in the territory. That would send the government si- back to Brussels, yes. basically. Then, yeah. the, well, either send them back to Brussels to negotiate again, or possibly what people really secretly, the Remainers secretly hope for, is that that would force a, a, a rethink of the whole point Project. of Brexit. Yeah. You know, yeah. Whether yeah. it's a second referendum or an election, who knows. But we're not there yet. We're, all we've really got to is the notion that there will be some kind of showdown this time next year that will give MPs a chance to say, no, this ain't working. And that's interesting and important in its own right, but it's only the start. I think of what's coming. Okay. All right. Well, one final, very quick question, if I may, to both of you. Jennifer, uh, first, are we going to have sufficient progress in December? Is that seriously now in doubt? Well, that is the question. I, I'll, I'll stick my neck out and say I, I think 60 40 yes for sufficient progress in December, only because I can't see the government seeing any advantage in in not coming up with an offer on the money but it really does have to be an offer on the money and the eu is not going to budge on this i just don't see what the government would have to gain by delaying that until march and delaying the start of trade talks uh yeah i would go higher than that i'd say 80 20 but with the caveat that we might not have a government standing at the end of it (laughs) okay all right well it all sounds very encouraging thank you very much both of you that's it for this week uh thanks dan thanks jennifer for joining me next week we're going to be discussing scotland and brexit so if you have any questions about that or suggestions please do email us at brexit means at theguardian.com that's all one word brexit means at theguardian.com please subscribe review on all your favorite podcatchers and join the discussion on twitter you just need to search for guardian podcasts till next week then i'm john henley the producer was rowan slaney this was brexit means and thank you very much for listening for more great podcasts from the guardian just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.